You're listening to another episode of Battles with Bits of Rubber. So, the subject of today's uh, episode of the podcast is uh, we want to talk about um, the sort of, I can it down to five, but I'm sure you get it to say, you, you will get the same questions asked time and again, and I thought it would be uh, uh, worthwhile and of some utility to maybe record an episode discussing these problems in reasonable length so that when they get asked again, we already have something to refer people to. Yeah. So, uh, you all kick us off with the first question. Sure. Shall we, um, shall we snap our little slate? Yes, let's do that. That sounds vulgar. I'm going to slap my slate at you. Here we go. Ready? Yes. Go. Three, two, one, snap. That must be perfect. I think it was perfect. (laughs) Excellent. All right. Question number one. How do I match an appliance to a person's skin tone? Yeah, that is a very common question. And it's funny. And it's a good one. It It is, because the thing is, you'll probably have done this, and we've mentioned this before, where you'll be at a trade show and then, you know, there's someone's got all these amazing makeups in their folio and very extensive, like, full-body, you know, paint jobs and things. And then, you know, you'll, you'll zoom in close on something, you'll see, like, the fact that the color doesn't match. And they're like, yeah, I can't seem to get the skin tone right. And I'm always amazed. I'm like, I think a lot of places encourage people to do big stuff that is, you know, clickbait or, you know, looks good without really getting the fundamentals mm-hmm. right. And uh, it yeah, astounds me. Getting those fundamentals right is is important. It doesn't matter. You may have done a flawless job applying it with, you know, totally invisible edges. Mm-hmm. But if the paint doesn't match exposed skin fail mm. it's a it's a, it's a you, tough one and it's I, I admittedly it's it's not an easy thing to do but like anything that we do you know the more you the more you do it the easier it gets mm. you know it's you gotta you gotta get the paint color to match the skin tones yeah i think it's very important to be able to do that and i just I just wanted to flag that as a thing that I think is one of those, it's one of those weird things where someone, I've seen, you know, people that are like graduated and they still can't get the color tone, right? But that's, yeah, well, that's if, such a fundamental you know, it does, thing. It doesn't really matter as much if you're doing a, if there isn't any exposed skin of, of the actor mm. visible, because mm. then, then you paint it however you want it, want it to look, mm. though it still needs to look like real skin, have that that translucency and a sense of, of depth to it. Mm. But if you've got, if you're just putting a nose on somebody or a chin or maybe, maybe some, some cheekbone pieces matching the skin tones is absolutely crucial. Yeah. Cause you've got a lot of real skin right next to the fake skin and it's obvious yeah. that's not done right. Yeah. You're right. If you can cover somebody, you know, completely, it's often easier in a kind of weird way but yeah that, that is a tough thing and i think a lot of people will use stuff like maybe latex starting out which is an excellent mm-hmm. material for, for small things because it costs next to nothing but it's harder to paint you know so but that's a good thing to be able to do i think um yeah you know and just because it's naturally opaque yeah and you know the old school was like you know latex and foam latex that's what you cut your teeth on so the silicon business is 
should be pretty straightforward, but people still get that wrong. So, um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, I think if you're painting something like foam latex or latex, obviously you're going to be painting with an opaque kind of paint. We we delved into this quite deeply on our episode about foam latex, but you know, painting with something like Pax or rubber mask grease, mm-hmm. you know, you're going to create something which is quite opaque, but you have to create the illusion of translucency. Right, and you can you can thin Pax enough to get a translucent wash and that's basically how you need to look at painting anything that you're going to be applying whether it's foam latex uh, gelatin silicone doesn't doesn't matter you want to do layers of transparent washes to build up uh, and get a sense of of real translucency that that real skin has Mm. less becomes more you want to do a little bit at a time you can always add more to it if it's if you're not getting enough color. But boy, if you go to, go on too too much and that translucency disappears, gotta backpedal and then you're fixing rather than than painting. And you never want to find yourself in that predicament. Yeah, yeah, it's true. It's just creeping up on it on that base tone. And I, one of the things I noticed with foam latex, partly I think because of the amount of light that used to get thrown on it when foam latex was used more but you always had to paint it a little bit darker than you think it always seemed to show up mm-hmm. on camera brighter than to the eye in a weird kind of way so you got used well, to that's one of the things. reasons yeah it's one of the reasons it's it's so important to have access to the lighting conditions it's going to be going to be shot in or or seen in if you're if you're talking about a theater piece mm. um the lighting in the makeup room is rarely going to be the same as the stage lighting, which can be oftentimes quite dramatic and will completely change the the look of of the makeup. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because the the, the light source ends up being a different color. Um, you know, and uh, yeah, the light the light is. I mean, I guess daylight's the best thing if you could try and get daylight that's sure. good or daylight bulbs or you know illumination. I've got a couple of. Um, uh, dimmable LED panel lights, which are quite good uh, for that. Yeah, I have thing. I have a set of them too, and uh, actually, one of them actually uh, can not only change the intensity of the light, but can change the color temperature. Yes, going from from daylight to incandescent, uh, and everything in between, which is really really nice. It's a wasn't very expensive, and something I picked up. No, they're not bad. Um, when I was in Ch- when I was in China a couple of years ago. Well, I mean, mine were from Amazon, but they're probably probably from China. I think they're made by Newer, N double E W E R, and I think they're about. I think you get them for about fifty sixty quid each. They're about yeah, I don't know. That's about that's about about eight by ten kind of size. Uh, but they're, they're, they're plenty. Well, I've, I've got I've got one that's actually a ring light mm-hmm. uh, that you can you can actually mount a camera in the center of it and it's it's pretty cool yeah well i think it's well worth having those things on the last job i was on actually somebody had i'll show you this little ring light this little pocket ring light oh yeah which is you know just a little um led battery powered thing but it was good for just on set stuff you know i can't see (laughs) but that does the same thing as it it's different colored lights and it's just one of those things that really helps you if you're just trying to do quick touch-ups but yeah, yeah. LED, it makes a big difference those led lights because they, they don't they're not heavy and they don't get hot so you can mount them in different places you know and uh, they're very useful if you if you end up in a dingy little makeup room and the light's terrible which it often is um 
they're, mm-hmm. they're great things but yeah um so yeah with the, with the bass tone you know you've got to try and get it right and then you tweak it with washes of red blue and you know yellow and we've done we've done a couple of podcasts about flesh tones and sort well, of skin we did color. A, a whole color theory thing in prosthetics magazine as well we did yes but what i will do is i'll put links to those in the show notes because again that will be useful to relate to there's no point in us kind of going on for an hour and a half on that because we've done an hour and a half on that but i will put the links to that good grief we're going to need another set of notes hang on i'm just going to write this down (laughs) (laughs) i've been so flat out on uh the last couple of days uh editing like a madman today it's all sounding very very cool though yeah i I, yeah i haven't stopped um I can't wait to to listen to the one that you did with uh, Stu Conran and and Dan Fry. Yes, that one will be. That's going to be a killer episode. So with the with the with painting foam latex, there's that that method which I've seen, which I quite like, which I've done, which is that I like to paint with that method where you you paint a deep red color on the foam first, mm-hmm. and this is kind of unique to foam because you want it opaque. You want to just kill off that white. If you've been using white foam, which most people do, because you can pigment the foam. But uh, if it's white foam, you want to put that that deep red in first to give it that blood. And then that blood color that, you know, healthy tissue will have underneath it and then washes a paler color over the top. Um, And you would think since you're since you're basically covering up that red that you've put down first, that what's the point since you're covering it up with with lighter colors? It's amazing what a difference it makes by not doing and if 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 anybody's interested to want to do a comparison do a foam piece without laying down that that real warm color first and then do it with and then do everything else the same and the difference is is palpable wow for sure yeah yeah it's a very uh it's a very good point and it's a it's a weird quality isn't it because like you say, you think by covering it with a paint paint finish, you're not going to see it, but it does have an effect. And also what's nice is you can not put it so heavily in some areas to get more depth, like the creases and sure. stuff, because everything's painted dark first. Right. Those Even cre- if you model it on, if you kind of blotch it on so that it's not a flat, even application of the color, mm. it it makes it more convincing when you add the the lighter tones on top of it, mm-hmm. it looks more natural. And you can you can mix your own Pax paints, which is you know Liquitex acrylic paints mixed with Prosade or the the Notac Prosade, which you mentioned, which is good. But also mm-hmm. uh, the the PPI Beta Bond, which I'm a really big fan of. I really like the Beta Bond. And, and it's, it's it smells good too. It has a weird, almost a bit lavendery. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 kind of nice. I think I think the the Beta Bond is what. Tom Supernaut uses as uh, the the binder in in his packs paints. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's really good. He and he uses pure pigments as well. Well, we discussed that. There's an episode with a. Yeah. Let me make a note. The Tom Supernaut episode, because um, his he makes beautiful prosthetic paints. Um, being a, a painter, as well, um, you know, he knows what's what, and the using the pigments as well is great because they're pure pigments. There's a lot more concentrated color in there rather than mixing it just paint mm-hmm. which is pigment plus and, and his and, paints yeah and his paints like the mel packs paints um don't don't change shade when they dry mm. 
Uh, if, you, if, if you do your own, like, like I've, I've done my own paxes, which, you know, will work in a, in a pinch. I, I prefer the, the commercially made stuff that Tom and, and Mel have. Um, but acrylic paint typically dries about two shades darker than when it's wet. Um, but the Mel packs and the Supernaut packs don't don't change. They're they're the same wet or dry, mm-hmm. which is which is really that, nice. That's a real godsend, isn't it? Because yeah, because no you, you've got to you have to factor that in if you know your your paint's gonna gonna change shade when it dries. Yeah, and there's no real precise way to tell how much when you do it. You've you're kind of shooting in the dark. Mm. Yes, you got to. Yeah, it's one of those things where you just have to adjust it accordingly. You put it on and then go. Yeah, it's too pale. <laughs> well, it's too dark. Uh, usually yeah. too pale. Now, if you're mm. y- using something like silicon or gelatine or something, then the color has to be in the base material to begin with. Um, right. And normally, the recommendation I, fi- I feel is, is to make it a you know the palest color of the skin, so that it is already the highlight color, so that when you want to shade it. It goes darker, but you don't have to apply much highlight or any highlight at all. It is the right. color of the highlight already. So it's the absence of makeup, which makes it pale, which I think is quite nice because often it can look a little bit sort of hokey, can't it? If it's too, it depends how dark the skin is, but highlighted highlighter on darker skin is less effective than shading on pale skin. It's just the way light works because it reflects light mm-hmm. and it can look like it's sitting on the surface. So um, it makes sense to make your base tone white and then you know again the same principles and it washes always thin washes to build up color like skin illustrator or or you know an alcohol palette which mm-hmm. is useful but also they they evaporate much quicker that's the other thing when you're dealing with pax paints you're often dealing with you know water as the as the thinning agent and you know to thin it down and then that doesn't dry as quick as alcohol color so building up washes is more time consuming with pax paint but it's a durable finish very good for necks yeah and, and, where and i think be, because it's so durable because you're using an adhesive basically as as the binder um it's a good idea to prep the the skin before you start painting with with some kind of barrier layer either you know ppi top guard or or krylon's got pro shield and there's <clears throat> there's a marley skin mm-hmm. and you know there's a there are a bunch of different types of barrier layers because uh, because packs can be a real bitch to to get off yes yeah <laughs> even even with something that is called a, a packs remover yeah it's you you've got got work ahead of you what would you say is the best remover you've used because that ben nine um, bondoff is pretty good bondoff is is quite good it's because it's it's naphtha <laughs> it's, it's, <laughs> it's, it's pure naphtha is Just that, is that all right as a remover and color <laughs> I I don't it's you look at the ingredients on on the bond off and it just says naphtha perfume and color. <laughs> okay, we're the only <laughs> only ingredients listed. Yeah. Oh. Okay. Well, I guess um, uh, read up on the ingredients. Yeah, bond in, in, bond in off the, in works the... works really well. Um, the the Prosade remover works pretty well. Uh, I make my own remover that's. Kind of a combination of um, isopropyl myristate, uh, 244, coconut oil, and a little little bit of orange oil for for sweet smell, <laughs> uh, and it and it works really well. Fantastic. 
but you know, isopropyl myristate by itself is is a terrific remover. Coconut oil by itself is a terrific adhesive remover. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the best way, and and Tom, I think Tom Supernot did a a tutorial on this in in a, in a back issue of Makeup Artist magazine some time ago, using you know, one of the things about removers, I think everybody is in too much of a hurry when they're putting it on to get the piece off. They don't let it sit and work its way into the adhesive, mm-hmm. ma- making it much easier to get off. They, they just think it, well, it's going to come off as soon as it instantly touches the adhesive, which is rarely the case. Yeah, so let the, let the adhesive down. remover do, it, do its job to break down the adhesive and then take um, damp towels as hot as you or your actor can stand it and basically do a facial, you know, lay, lay that on the face and let, let the warm heat, wet heat uh, help also. So, you mm-hmm. know, if you can get most of it off and there's still some sticky residue, have your actor jump in a hot shower and hot soapy water, that's going to get the rest of it off pretty quick, especially if you've used a barrier layer beforehand. Mm-hmm. That's really good. That, that, helps, that helps a lot with getting the adhesive off. There's also, yeah. I've noticed, uh, well, I do have some removal wipes, which I think, I know Mild Life did some called Life Wipes. I, Neil's, got, uh, Neil's materials have got something, uh, some kind of <clears throat> removal wipe. And they're just like individual sachet wipes with the remover in yeah. them, which is really handy to give to the actor to say, you know, if you, if we missed a spot, if you find something like, you know, rather than having to decant out a small bottle of it and give it to them, you know, something mm-hmm. that could spill or leak, you can just give them the little sachets. And uh, they're quite handy to, to remove, which is quite cool. Yeah, because you're invariably going to find a little booger of, of something behind an ear yeah. or someplace. You, know, you you think you get everything off and... <laughs> you stuck to your pillow There's, in the morning. Is just, <laughs> <laughs> whatever yeah. you've been doing, I don't know. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, it tends to, uh, to reveal itself the following day covered in, in lint from the bed. And barrier layers are, are good for, for another reason, too. Um, I talked about it in, uh, in my book, uh, we, we were doing a production of the whiz. Did I tell you the story? No. Are you, do you, do you remember it? Um, we were going to have our, our actor who was playing the cowardly lion. We did have it full facial prosthetic pieces that were really, really cool. Very stylized, kind of modeled after the lion in Madagascar. And then he was going to have to have this big fur suit and mane and all the stuff. So we, when we were doing some some makeup tests, uh, when we were just starting tech rehearsals, we were putting them on. We were using telesis to to glue these uh, foam pieces down, and boom, we were using um, Super Solve to get them off, and everything went on beautifully. Came off beautifully, and he was in and out, you know, maybe fifteen minutes to to remove and get his skin all all cleaned up. It was perfect. Well, then when we got to Full full dress with the prosthetics and the first suit, and he came in after that first night of of rehearsing in in the suit. Fucking makeup wouldn't come off. <laughs> the, the, we we used every remover we had. Yes, I do remember this now. This, it wouldn't on. come off. <laughs> now, yeah, I'm, I'm going, fuck me. I'm flop sweating. It was. Yeah. And the actor's sightless. He was blind from birth because it's a, it's a 
disabled theater company. Everybody in the company has a physical disability of some kind. And we're going, he's, he's going, what the hell's going on? And it, it wouldn't come off. And it was by the time we finally got it off, which you know should have taken us 20 minutes tops, took about an hour wow. to, to remove this stuff from his face. And it was too late for me to call PPI and say, what the hell's going on here? And I called Eric Heinley the f- first thing in the next morning. First thing, f- as soon as I asked, told him the situation, the first thing he said was, does he drink? <laughs> and I went, uh, yeah, but it's, it's not like he's a drunk. I said, it doesn't matter. It's, you know, any alcohol in this system. And he likes to have a, a beer or a glass of wine when he gets home from work. Yeah. Any alcohol in the system, when it sweats out of your body, can do one of two things. It can either make the the adhesive come loose and your prosthetics will just fall off or do what it did for us, which makes won't come off. So he overnighted me some of their top guard, and we used that as the barrier layer. So we'd, we'd condition his skin. We'd, you know, astringent his skin, put the top guard on. Then we'd glue the piece on. Yeah, yeah. Came off so, so fine. So, boom. That's really good. I mean, barrier I've used, layer. I've used top use, guard. Use a barrier layer anyway. That's really good. I mean, I've used top guard before, you know, as an, as an adhesive promoter, you know, to stop sweat uh, attacking, mm-hmm. you know, especially like top lips or somewhere where there's a lot of movement and you're worried, you know, you put that down on the skin first and then the glue on top. You know, having already yeah. used something like heels astringent or something to clean the skin, but um, but uh, but I, I never really think about it as. In addition to that, it also makes it easy to get it off, as well as yeah. promote the glue. So you get a, a better sticking, you know, better join, but also it comes off better, which is a nice thing. Because at the end of the day, when you're mm-hmm. at your most tired, you know, even though it's an extra cost and more trouble to have to put down another layer, it's it, you really see. That's the thing about like Prozade, no, I think, it's... you know, Prozade is cheaper, it's a very cheap glue. So a lot of people will have used it, but it's actually a real swine to get off, you know. So I'd no, rather... it was a, it was originally developed as a bumper sticker adhesive. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, have you ever tried to get a bumper sticker off your car? It's like, son of a bitch, this won't, this thing won't come off. That's, that's Prozade. So, yeah. So we'll, we'll put some, some of the links to specifically to painting because we already have some extensive painting stuff, but, uh, that we've, we've mentioned, but basically it comes down to, um, creeping up on the right color, but get the base tone right to begin with and then tweaking it with washes of, you know, successive mm-hmm. washes of color to creep up on it and then blend it out so that you get a nice graduation. So there's no sudden stopping point between the piece and the skin. You know, you want to you know, taper it off. Question two. How do I ensure a good edge on an appliance? And that's that's in the same ballpark as question number one. That's a real fundamental question, but actually it's a very, very yeah. good question. And we've all suffered, you know, the consequences of, of, of having not done that. <laughs> uh, well, the quick, easy answer is sculpt it right to begin with. Yes. Yeah. I, I've The reason I thought this was a, a good question to, to point out, because I've had a few people in the last couple of weeks actually have asked like, what? what magical substance do you put on to make your edges disappear as if it's like the job of something retrospectively to make the edges go away. And it's like you, when you see a good edge, that's not the result of something just being dumped on there. It's because everything's been crafted beautifully from step to, you know, you're not, um, you're not, what's the word? You're not sort of, 
you're not owed a good edge. Good yeah, edges come from, you know, the yeah. result of everything going right. Garbage in, garbage out. Yeah. <laughs> but if some people just think, well, I did the thing and the edge should be fine. It's like, well, no, you've got to really, you know, if the, the finer an edge, the harder it is to maintain. Um, you do have to make sure that, you know, you're... Um, we did a whole blog post just on edges, which, again, I'll put the link to that in here, but... Um, into the show notes here but basically yeah feather edges feather thin edges are desirable to have but they're easy to damage um and it's kind of like the, yeah. the analogy i use was creating good edges is like personal hygiene if you do it properly it goes unnoticed people only notice when you stop washing no one ever says to you thank you for not smelling you know that but they, they notice when you you know if you don't brush your teeth for a month you'll see the difference so um, if you do a good job of blending in edges very often people won't know that they're there and you'll you've seen it where people point at the wound and go oh, that's really great and you're like but what about you know the wound that's two inches long but what about the 18 inches of appliance that has blended flaws into the skin that they didn't notice that's where most of your work went so mm-hmm. yeah but there's no magical uh fluid i mean there are fillers you can put fillers and stuff to fix a, a bust edge but the yeah. idea is to and try and get a good edge in the manufacture of it and there's a there is a a s- magical elixir of of sorts a bunch of people use it i i first learned of it from mike spatola um and it's when you sometimes you know you get less than perfect edges with foam latex especially if you're you know using pre-purchased pieces and you're trying to fit something on somebody then that it wasn't sculpted for um a mixture of and and you know how i hate spirit gum Mm -hmm. but it does have its uses and one of them is is with foam latex edges so if you've got a less than ideal edge where you know maybe there's been a tear and you've got it's an okay edge but not ideal uh mixture of spirit gum 50 50 mixture of spirit gum and 99 percent alcohol if you brush that over that noticeable edge as long as it's not you know really an obnoxious edge it'll soak into the foam because foam's basically a sponge Mm -hmm. and it'll kind of as the as the alcohol evaporates and the spirit gum dries it shrinks down that edge to nothing so you can get some make some absolutely invisible edges with with this stuff you got to be a little bit careful just because spirit gum isn't real flexible Mm -hmm. when it when it's dry but it's better than the shitty edge um, you would otherwise have had, I guess. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. But you you can you can definitely improve a That's shitty good. edge with this. But you know you, you can't go into any of this stuff uh, with the "we'll fix it in post" yeah. attitude. You know you want to you want to try to do it right to begin with, and not oh, it's it's this isn't that good. We'll 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 fix it with with bondo or the alcohol and spirit gum yeah it's just sloppy isn't using the patch yeah. to patch stuff and it's yeah it's, it's not the right it's not the right mindset yeah i mean that's not to say that you can't fix edges if they go wrong but it's just it's a thought of relegating good craftsmanship from the outset because you're just thinking well i'll just double a bunch of filler on it it's like that's really not it's not good enough. <laughs> but yeah, you, you want to sculpt your edges nice and thin. Your molds have to be accurate as well, because if your molds don't close properly, that's often what can happen. And that's when you get inconsistencies. Mm-hmm. With, yeah, you know, the sculpture could be beautiful, but the molds fucked up. Yeah, if your molds, then you're going to have a something. really thick edge. Yeah, yeah, and if your molds warped, you know, you could run a piece, and then 
it might be that every piece you run is wrong in the same places at this you know to the same amount in which case the mold is warped or it might be that you know you run 10 pieces and three of them have got bad edges but the other seven are fine in which case well that's down to how you've closed the mold then because you know it's one of those things and there are certain things you can do sometimes i mean the more accurate molds like you know a good epoxy or something they cost more mm -hmm. money and that's one of the reasons why because the accuracy they give you is phenomenal um but it's uh it's one of those things with like that's why flat molds are so good because flat molds you can get you know flawless edges on them pretty much every time um because you can see the edges there's a limit to what you can do with a flat mold but you can do quite a lot with a flat mold one thing you can do with mm -hmm. a flat mold um and just like anything else if you know you're going to go sticking on pieces and you know that a bad edge is something that might happen is to in advance make some little patches uh, of pro, yeah, bond, pro little blender pieces little blenders uh, and some silicon pieces and just little patches of, of cat plastic you know just off cuts of cat plastic keep those handy and you can glue those over the edge as a real yeah. last resort if you need to that's a great idea keep those in your kit yeah i mean spend some time making some you know little you know kidney bean shapes little straight runs circles l shapes you know whatever you know conceivable you know five or six different shapes you know about the size of a fingertip um, but they need to be thin. You don't you don't no, want to make need... these too thick because then then you're you're changing the makeup. Yes, and then then your bad edge is now replaced with the obvious bulge, which is <laughs> no improvement really. Um, but uh, but yeah, it's a subtle thing. You can also fill it with um, you know if you've got a bad edge. So long as you secure it first, you can fill it with some filler like a prosade mm -hmm. cream or some thickened prosade or or pro bond or PTM, the prosthetic transfer material that would work. Uh, but there's a limit to how much thickness you can fill with that because it evaporates. So if you're filling half an inch with this stuff, you're going to be there for a week with a yeah, hairdryer and it drying it out. Take so. take forever to dry. Yeah, so that's no good. So you want to try and make it as, as nice as you can. The other thing with foam, and I, you can sort of do it with silicon, but it works really well with foam. It's really, really bad edges. I just snip away from the back with a pair of scissors, you know, a pair of curved mm -hmm. nail scissors, and then try and reduce the thickness from the back. And then when you stick it on, then you can maybe fill it afterwards. But uh, try and get it down as much as you can. But, Careful not to cut your fingers. Yeah, that would be bad. <laughs> and then you're back to square one, like bleeding all over your yeah. foam. Uh, but you also not... want to, if you're if you're filling up, you know, if you're covering a bad edge with with a thickened prosade, you want to build up to the edge rather than going from the edge down onto the skin. Yeah, you don't want to add thickness. Just, you know, yeah, and you want to do a little bit at a time, let it dry, and if you need to add more, do it that way. Don't try to go all in at once because mm. it'll just take forever to dry. And if, if your actor happens to move, you know that it's before you've had a chance to to powder something and it sticks to itself, and then your your problems just start to cascade. Yeah, it make a big gummy mess, which is not ideal. I mean, you can sort of fix it a bit with silicon mm. as well, like. If it's a silicon piece, you could, you know, mix up some like third degree or sculpt gel. But we, um, there's, we did a whole big blog post just about edges. Again, I'll put the links to that <laughs> here, and also uh, a video about repairing uh, dodgy edges because that's that's mm -hmm. something I think is very good to see. And I've not seen somebody do that where basically I took a piece, completely ruined it, stuck <laughs> it on badly, and then, um, you know, showed you how I fixed it. So that mm -hmm. was in the magazine. But we also did a video, and I'll put the link to that video and that blog post in these notes and it's a skill you need to need to have in your in your toolkit because if you're on set and you've got a crappy edge that needs to get fixed it needs to get fixed the director doesn't care the first ad is not gonna not gonna give a shit 
they're shooting that scene in five minutes and it's quite a motivator (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah i i mean i have to stress you know i spend most of my time uh in the workshop is fine most of my time on set i'm either panicking about what could go wrong or i'm relieved that it didn't go wrong that's basically the frame of mind (laughs) so if there's a little bit of fear when you're doing this stuff get used to those feelings yeah that is that is correct it's not it's not unique to you Stuart. no it's one of those feelings uh i'm always i'm always oh shit are they gonna find out what a fraud i am it's a terrifying feeling yeah that um that imposter syndrome but uh yeah you just gotta I, i think if you're crippled and paralyzed by that feeling that's not good but i think it's probably reasonably healthy to have a certain amount of not skepticism of your own abilities, but you don't just assume it's all just going to go to plan. You know, it goes to plan because you're paying attention mm-hmm. uh, to it. Not not like, ah, I can, you know, relax a little bit because it's going to be fine. Because that's normally when yeah. the wheels fall off the cart. Well, there's so no such thing as being overprepared. No, no, it, it does pay to, 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 to keep on top of those things. All right. Uh, question three. Do you want to do question three? Yeah. How can I create good work without spending a fortune on materials? See, that's a good thing because you want to build up a folio and maybe you're at a college where, you know, they haven't got facilities to use everything that you've read about and seen, like, you Mm -hmm. know, fiberglass and stuff. And it's all pretty stinky, so it needs extraction. There's an increasing amount, I've noticed, of colleges that they've expanded the courses that they want to deliver but they don't necessarily spend the money they should up front making it safe to do that so they'll do a course around it but they'll they'll limit what materials you can use and i understand that but it's just it can be disappointing if you suddenly find out there's all these materials that you you know feel like you should be using but you can't afford to or the or the place you're at doesn't do that but that doesn't you're rarely going to find epoxy molds making materials in a in a course you'll probably be doing plaster and hydrocal and ultracal molds mm. um, you know so, so on one hand you know it takes money to make money but on the other hand there are ways and materials you can use that aren't going to break the bank yeah and also i would say i don't think you have any business making molds out of uh, epoxy until you've done your sort of apprenticeship on plaster molds because yeah, regardless no, that's of the materials not what you are, want to make mistakes on no there there but there are some basic rules about mold making regardless of the material so it makes sense to well a start with cheaper material i say cheaper materials there's just there's you know it's what it's one of the plaster is one of the base materials you should know about anyway and everything you learn in plaster plus you can combine epoxy and plaster and you look at like you know, Rob Freitas's Instagram page, you know, he'll, he'll occasionally throw up a, yeah. a plaster mold that he's working on. And it's still something that keeps coming back because you don't always need, or, or you don't always have the budget or maybe it's a one-off and you don't, do you know what I mean? It's, it's plaster keeps mm-hmm. cropping up. So it makes sense to be able to do that. So, you know, you can still do very good work with cheap materials that the, the expensive material doesn't make it a good job. You can still do a shit job with expensive materials. Absolutely. And, and that's when it can get really expensive. If you make a mistake, if you lock up your mold, you know, rigid, rigid to rigid um, is where undercuts really come into play. And if you aren't paying attention and if you've, you know, a half a millimeter of an undercut on a rigid mold to a rigid core is enough to lock up a mold Mm -hmm. so that it will never come apart or completely break everything 
when you force it apart. Mm. And then it becomes a real expensive mistake because you've got to start from scratch. Yeah. And if you're using less expensive materials to learn those lessons, then you can you know, you you can live to to mold another day. Yeah, and you know m- most most uh, you know uh, learner drivers don't don't have their first lesson in a <clears throat> McLaren F1 sports car. You know, there's a good reason why you don't do that. You know, <laughs> aside from the fact it probably drives like a bag of shit if you've never driven before, but but it's just you just you don't you don't want to find out you know that you've got a slippy clutch foot in traffic in a two hundred thousand dollar sports car <laughs> so um that's not good uh but yeah uh i i think um you know the materials that are used on skin you know they're all very expensive um things like glues and stuff you kind of can't avoid using some expensive materials but you don't always have to use expensive materials i think the thing is um the thing you've got to remember is you want to display your competence through what you can do so if you don't have a lot of money for materials then you instead have to do very good work with some basic things and in episode i think 51 was it the episode where we chatted to neil uh you know yeah we came up with three good ways of doing something for not a lot of money um so it's worth you know thinking about what i do a more complicated thing or if i get this expensive material i'll do because i've seen and and we've all seen you know you can tell whether somebody's doing good work with what they've got it doesn't make it a better job because it's a more expensive material so no um, old school materials work really well if and if you're if you're learning you know we've um you know nose and scar wax um if you're learning and it's not going to be for for something that's in a you know going on a high traffic area of the body nose and scar wax is a great material to learn how to to get edges working right building up directly on the skin you know latex and cotton is you can get really good results yeah. with it yeah well we've seen recently it's not um, going to be it's not going to not going to be a substitute for for silicone or no. or any of the other high-end uh, prosthetic materials but freaking um jack pierce who did you know the wolfman and frankenstein right he built up boris karloff's frankenstein makeup from scratch every day using cotton and rigid collodion yeah and it worked beautifully <laughs> and you it know, looked <laughs> looked great yeah and have you seen more recently you know some of rick baker's stuff he's been you know there was a while ago where he was playing with some wool and cotton and and latex yeah you know modeling stuff up and he made that beautiful nosferatu head in paper mache i mean it's like it doesn't need to be an expensive it's literally that's a very good example of seeing someone showing how what you know what they know can be displayed you know with anything you can give them a mashed potato and a fork you know or sculpted into Mm. something fantastic so you know i wouldn't recommend taking that in to an interview but you might want to take a photo of it if you do a good job sure but um yeah it's it's about doing 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 good things like that one thing i think is that a lot of people get hung up on is like if they think if they can't do a makeup from start to finish then they just won't do any of it and that's a real tragedy if no one's hiring you to do a job then you won't be generating makeup so i think what would be good would be to have some life casts on standby and i think that's a good thing to to aim to anyways to have you know a bunch of copies of life casts kicking around even if you have to take them or buy them or something, just so you have some life cast. But you can, um, you know, sculpt on a life cast, paint it, mm-hmm. 
ripple that off and then um you know do it again so you can make the thing look like a finished head even though it's not been molded and cast but you can display and we used to do that uh, you know for designs and stuff where you'd sculpt up maybe you cast up like five or six plaster faces sculpt up five or six different noses on them paint them to be like the skin and then you could show the producer you know five copies of something that were physical and and they could look at and nothing was molded it was just to show the shape and then if something was approved then you could reproduce it and sculpt it again and then you would sink your time into molding it and casting it but mm-hmm. it's just a good way of producing something and if you stipple it with with latex you sculpt onto the life cast with your plastiline whatever it is going to be and then stipple the whole thing that the the the, the the sculpt and the core with a couple of layers of latex on a sponge let it dry and then paint it and then when you're done you can just peel that latex off and then reuse everything yeah that's a great one and uh, it says we did something similar with uh, uh, again I'll put links to this in the show notes of video of me I did a, a reptile skin and instead of latex I sprayed it with cat plastic but you could use latex in the same way and it just meant mm. you know again not a lot of money but it gives you a good chance to do something decent uh, but sculpting something or photographing it or sketching something, even a pencil sketch, it, it just gives you an opportunity to reveal what you're capable of at the very least. Uh, yeah, and it's a good way to also just to uh, to hone your painting chops. Yes. Yeah. I think it's I think it's it's good to kind of keep your hand in and and you're you know you know this yourself when when there isn't any work going on, most people I know who work will still just do stuff for fun, you know, because they just want to keep their 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 chops up they just want to keep their their hand in so and also it just yeah, feels that. wrong to not do that you know like comp- athletes who aren't competing they still train they still use their bodies every day because you're not going to be winning anything in six months from now if you sit on the sofa the whole time so um although that's kind of what i'm doing at the moment but then i'm not entering any competition <laughs> so you know. no you're you're drawing you're you're getting your drawing chops back i've i've seen what you've been posting playing with your your little tablet yeah, I'm having fun with that. It's awesome. Yeah, it's very yeah. cool. It's not an iPad, but it's uh, it's it's not bad. It was uh, you know, like I said, about four hundred and fifty quid, but it's brilliant. Infinite Painter is what I've been using, and it seems yeah, very. I think similar. I'm gonna. I think when we're done recording today, I think I'm gonna get my iPad out and start start getting back to to procreate and see if I can't figure out how to make that software work for me. Question four. Very good question. How do I get work? Get born into it. <laughs> Marry it? Marry into it. I started this by saying, look, the internet has democratized many things, uh, which before excluded a lot of people by limiting access. Like anything, anything of value, normally the value derives from the fact that it's rare. Okay, so there's usually some kind of gatekeeper, whether it's a publisher, you know, record producer or an agent. They're normally the thing that sit between you, the enthusiastic individual, and you know your published book or your best-selling record or whatever it is you want to do um and so obviously desperate for favor to stand out for the crowd people would vie for their individual attention in the best way they know how and you'll see yeah, that well, online where people humiliate themselves just to get eyeballs you know <laughs> yeah no it, it doesn't doesn't hurt to, to be willing to humiliate yourself or you know learn <laughs> learn to adapt yeah improvise overcome yeah well, I think the trouble is now that everything's been blown open by the internet. I mean, certainly with regards to books, uh, you know, writing, the amount of people that must, you know, write erotic fiction, they publish it on a Kindle because they can, you know, or 
Um, yeah. It's a massive Kindle area because uh, I, I was looking into the whole publishing thing and it was interesting to see uh, the growth in different genres and how the which of those, uh, you know, the self-publishing world has kind of gone into. And um, it's interesting from an editor's point of view, like if you're a publisher, you can just sit back and look at, you know, the, the, the self-published books that are doing well. And then maybe we should take that. a, take a shot at erotica. <laughs> the erotica. Have you seen, there's a podcast called, um, my dad wrote a porno. Have you, have you heard of that? I have heard of it. I, I haven't listened to it. You must listen to but it. It's it it sounds, sounds like it would be hilarious. It is very funny. It's very funny. It's it. I mean, I wouldn't eat or drink while you're listening. Not because it's, <laughs> well, it is disgusting, but just because you will spit whatever you've got in your mouth out when you laugh, because there's some very, very funny things. Um, yeah, no, it's, 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 it's hilarious, but, uh, yeah. Um, you know, so there was always a, uh, you know, a process that you'd have to sort of follow to get stuff done. And the internet has kind of changed all that. And, you know, now if you want to produce something, you, there's no real reason to stop you from doing it because you have the, if you have a laptop, you pretty much have all the tools that, you know, were not available to most people. But that also means there's a lot of yeah. crap out there. That's the trouble. And, you know, it's, it's difficult if you, if everyone's doing something, it's difficult to stand out. So how do you get work is you basically, the bottom line is you do good work and you show that to the right people. Um, but the trouble is so many people are doing pretty good work and some not, but it just means the intrays of companies are filling up in a way that they weren't 20 years ago. Cause there wasn't a face off. There wasn't a glow up. There wasn't, you know, a, a popular channel that was promoting it. I'm not saying that's a, well, I'm saying it's a bad thing. <laughs> you know, very no, well, well, my position on those things, but what I'm saying is that, that, that just means that you got to know that your CV is one of 50, whereas 20 years ago, I mean, one of five. So it's much less likely to get noticed. So well, I think it's, it's an area where you have to be the one who's willing to go the extra mile to do what most other people will be unwilling to do. You know, it's about persistence and determination and, and you know, that stick to where you aren't going to give up. Never surrender. <laughs> uh, you know, it's, it's, it's the ability to follow up and follow through yeah. with something. If, if somebody looks at your folio and says, Oh, you know, this is, this is not bad. Yeah. But what if you, if you were to do this, this, and this to improve your, your work, well, if you don't do anything about that, you know, you're going to be like most everybody else. So that's most people fail because they aren't willing to, to follow up and follow through. If you come yeah. back to show your folio again, say, okay, I, I did what you suggested. I made, made these, cha these improvements, these changes. What do you, now, what do you, what do you think of it now? Mm -hmm. Well, that's, that's going to, you you can't buy that. You know, that's mm. that's the kind of kind of stuff that somebody's gonna say, Oh, yeah, this kid's got something. Yeah, they, and the next and the next time they've got a got an opening, whether it's to come in and sweep the floor, you know, something to get your foot in the door, boom, they're gonna call you instead of these these other Yahoos that didn't do what was suggested. Yeah, it's a weird one, isn't it? Because it's like in a weird way I mean, there are certain things you have to do that are right and proper in that you know there's certain conduct and and sort of the way you behave is important but in terms of like sheer ability and talent you kind of either have it or you don't do you know what i mean like you can see yeah. like when you're looking at um 
I mean, I was watching uh, Chet Zara, I Like to Play Monsters documentary. I don't know if you've seen that. No, I haven't. You know, and it's it's like, you know, he's, he's amazing stuff, but he was doing pretty good stuff, you know, when he was a little kid. And he was, his stuff was better than most of his, you know, kids his age. So it's one of those things where, you know, you and you'll know it because you have seen it yourself when you watch somebody who's oh, holy shit they just like they're not human almost <laughs> you know, it's like there's something about them that's just not like everybody else that's why they're here and it's almost like you can't manufacture that so you 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 know you've got it in order to get work you do have to be seen and your work has to be good you need to be good because you know there's a lot of good people out there so if you're not as good as the good people you know or you you're not likely to get it's hard to say you're not going to be fantastic out the gate because if you start at a company you're not going to be better than if you started at spectral motion you are not going to be a better sculptor than Amon Cabrera do you know what I mean you're not yeah and and the chances are if they've hired you on your first day you won't be supervising him do you know what I mean you're going to be quite lower down in the pecking order mm-hmm. so it's not like you're going to get given some kind of massively um responsible position off the bat but there there are there are good people who are you know we we've we've known who are probably not going to get work because they're abrasive or they're big-headed or they're not very nice or do you know what i mean so talent isn't everything yeah. you've got to be able to get on with other people as well but you can kind of tell when you meet people who are just like holy shit your stuff is outstanding and you know, you can you can only improve what you can improve, but you also have to understand if you've got fifty people who are really really good, out of those fifty people that are really really good, some of them are going to be like the best out of that, and and you you might not be that good. <laughs> I mean, you just can't. Mm-hmm. And uh, going to Monster Palooza was it was like that. You know, you'd see so many good things, you know, your eyes would roll out of your head because you're like, holy shit! Like, I should just cut my hands off. Looking at Zebra Central, it's like, holy shit! This stuff's amazing people here who presumably not all of them are being paid as sculptors they're just doing it at the weekend you know it's like there's so much good talent but you've got to be that you don't necessarily have to it's not just the talent it's the imagination it's the imagination but it's being able to do it it's the it's the ability to be able to do it in in the industrial environment in a time limit with this group of people for this money you know to a specification It's, it's being able to work under those conditions and that's what you don't get from just looking at good sculptors you actually need to know how they function within the environment and then not everyone can do that there are people who are really good sculptors if you don't rush them you know or if you don't put any pressure on them but if they've got to do something again because the guy didn't the client didn't like it and it's like oh shit you know and the guy goes to pieces because they didn't like what i did you know that's why i like don lanning's got such a great attitude you know about if he sculpts something, it's like, this is not my work. This is, I'm doing it, but for them, this is their sculpt. Mm-hmm. They get to decide what they want. And if the client makes a change, then I'll happily do it. And I'm not, you know, I'm, my my well-being is not attached to the sculpt. If they want it. And that's hard for change. some people to accept. Uh, because even if, if it's something that they're sculpting for a client, for somebody else, part of them is going into that sculpture mm. and getting negative criticism about it. It's hard to it's take some, that. It's, 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 it's hard to take to not take that personally, yeah. even though it's you, you're not doing what they asked you to do and you're getting dressed down for it. So suck it up, Nancy. Gotta yeah. gotta gotta make it right. Yeah, it's it's a tough one. I think 
I was stuttering like an idiot all those over. The, what I was trying to say is that you, you know you've 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 got to be as good as you can be, but you can you can improve. Whatever you are, you can improve. And if you've got you know twenty people improving, some are going to improve more than others. And you can only improve as much as you can. You can't know how good everyone's going to be. You can only no, be you, you know what you can be. And so your your job is to be the the best version of yourself as you can. Yeah, and, don't and try to compare it. yourself to other people. No, no, exactly that's, right. That's uh, all that's going to do is make you start seeing a psychiatrist. Yeah, all you, what you should do is compare yourself to how you were yesterday. Don't compare yourself to how somebody else is today. And be the best that you can be. I mean, the thing is, as well, I mean, I'm doing this with the drawing. I'm I'm not going to get work as, a, as an artist, but there's something I get out of the act of uh, out of drawing or sculpting something for fun that goes beyond just the drawing. Do you know what I mean? It's a, yeah, it's a, it's an exercise. It's a practice. The whole thing is a practice. It's, it's what you sort of do in order to maintain, you know, your connection with how you observe. And as we all know, like sculpting and well, drawing is about back around, comes back around to us being artists. You know, so we, we do what we do because we can't not do it. Yeah. It's, it hurts to, it's, to avoid. It's, yeah. It's, it's something that's just, just part of us, you know, there's, um, you know, Agnes DeMille and, um, wrote a, wrote a letter to, um, oh, I can't think of her name now, but it's basically, you know, you, you can't, don't judge your work. You just have to keep doing it. You know, mm. you're never going to be satisfied with your work. You know, your work's never going to be good enough and that's okay. Yeah. That, that doesn't mean you stop trying no, your expectations grow with your abilities. So it's always just a little bit ahead of where you are. What you want to be yeah. is always a little bit further. No matter how good you are, you'll just, you know, kick your expectations yeah, along yeah. The, with you. and Keep 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 working outside your comfort zone until it gets comfortable and then push yourself outside your comfort zone again. That's the only way you're going to get better yeah. at anything. Yeah. Yeah. Um, one of the things I think is very important is that is to understand that the, the film industry as an entity is a massively varied place to work. And the unique demands of it, then they're, they're not for everybody. But there's within that, there's so many jobs in it. And if you, you know, it's always been the case if you wanted to get paid work, if you wanted to make working on films and stuff, the major source of your income, it's always been hard to do um, in makeup effects and prosthetics. Mm. But th honestly, the amount of prosthetics being made nowadays is you know it can be quite high on, on big jobs and you will get big jobs and big productions not all the time but stuff like star wars around for like four years five years you yeah. know and, um what even if you don't get on those jobs the point is what i've done over the last few years is, is do quite well out of the other jobs that couldn't get done because those jobs were being filled by you know the yeah. vast majority of the of the industry so you know I, oh, I, yeah I, it, I did all right with the smaller jobs so it can it can still benefit you even if you don't get on them well i can't i came very close to spending 18 months in new zealand uh doing prosthetics for the second season of spartacus for stars oh, yeah. uh, because there wasn't anybody available uh jane o'kane who had been the prosthetic supervisor uh for the first series of, of Spartacus uh, was getting ready to go on maternity leave and she was having trouble finding a replacement because everybody was working on the Hobbit. Yeah, I mean, everybody was working on the Hobbit. Yeah. And Tammy Lane recommended me to Jane 
and it came down to me and a, and an Australian makeup artist to do the series. And, you know, by law, they, they have to hire locally unless they can't find anybody at all, which is why they wound up coming to me. Uh, and this, this other guy, I can't, can't think of his name because I'm getting old, um, was able to work, juggle his schedule around to make it work. And they so they wound up hiring him, but uh, I mean I was incredibly flattered that I even got considered for figuring out how to kill people in Spartacus. That's amazing. <laughs> would have, have been a would nice run. Would have been a fun gig. Wow, that would have been that would have been away from but home I'd for have been a while. A, but I would have been away from home for for quite yeah. a while. Hmm. So may have dodged a bullet. Maybe, but it's nice to uh, it's nice to yeah to have come close, I guess. Um, so. You know, to get work in a studio, I think it's really important that you understand what the studio does because there's there's different kinds of jobs, and I think you have to get familiar with the processes of the kind of work involved in them. Because you know, if, if I, I've seen it not often, but you do see it on places where people are studying at a college or something, you know, the subject they think they want to get into without really knowing any of the jobs or the people in the jobs or you know what I mean they couldn't they couldn't list like if they wanted to be sculptors they couldn't tell me five sculptors that, yeah well, you the know machinery I mean? so is, like, is huge yeah yeah so what's you know if you go to the theater to watch a movie when the credits start to roll don't get up and leave with everybody else stick around and watch the credits yeah because you want that this is going to give you at least a partial list of the people whose job you want yeah, take a pen and paper. Wanna, who you want to work with? You know, note them down. Stick around. But you know, these are the people you want to want to emulate. You want to, and chances are, you know, they're all on Instagram or Facebook, and mm-hmm. or look them up on IMDb look, and just you look, know, look into yeah, what look them done. up and find out who they are. You you got to know the play who the players are. Yeah, definitely. I think you yeah you have to know what jobs are and who's doing them already, because at the end of the day, people pay have their problems solved that's what we all do so the trick is to find out whose problems you could solve and you know find out where where people are already spending money and try and get in front of that stream of money <laughs> so where where you know if, if if prosthetics are being made who is making them and for what and then if that's where you need to be you know so i think step one is to assemble a good portfolio and i would say yeah. one little tip is i think it's obviously work make a digital copy so you got one on your ipad but also a hard copy a printed copy because the people who make stuff not all of them want this but people who make stuff like to hold stuff in their hands they're, act, they're understandably yeah. tactile people and they well, like a neil's, book they can turn you know neil's real vocal about that he he wants to look at a physical copy of somebody's portfolio rather than flip through pages on somebody's iPad or God forbid on their phone. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Make, make it a nice, decent, you know, a four 10 by eight kind of image. Definitely. But yeah, I think that hard copies are nice. Um, make sure it's your best work and don't show a portfolio. That's only gore. <laughs> you no, no, for the love of God, you know, gore is not a career choice uh, unless you want to be a serial killer. It's, it's going to just pigeonhole you into the haunted attraction market. Yeah. You know, Halloween. You know, gore's fun to do. Don't get me wrong. But if it's the only thing um, you can do. But it's the only thing you can do. You're a lot of people. You know. Yeah. I mean, gore is one of those things that is is fun to do, like you say, and it can be done badly. But it's just if the only thing you've got evidence of is gore, it just looks like you're limited to things you can cover in blood. 
because I think if you saw a beautiful age maker, you'd assume from that that people can definitely do gore because it, it requires more skill to do those things. So, mm-hmm. so you're much better off doing those things. Well, and it used to be uh, doing doing bald caps was was one of the requirements when they still were doing testing to to get into the union. Uh, being able to do a a bald cap was yeah. was one of the tests you had to you had to had to do. So, you know, bald caps may not seem like a glamorous thing to have in your portfolio, but they're not easy no, to do well. Not. And they're proper grown up makeup. And that's the thing. If you if you if the thought of doing a ball cap doesn't excite you because it doesn't seem challenging enough or the challenge isn't one you would like to do, I think you kinda need to grow up a bit because you have to understand that, that that's the sort of stuff that, like you say, really shows off because it's hard to do well and the people who are looking yeah. at stuff in a folio know that. So if they see a folio full of things that they know are hard to do, that's more impressive to them than the thousands of folios they will see full of stuff that's easy to do. That's the point really. It's 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 the lowest hanging fruit to smother something in blood is what, you know, is the is the last resort kind of thing. So it might be that it's a good makeup, but if it's covered in blood, it could be that you just screwed it up and you're hiding from it. So um, and if you do do gore stuff, like if you have some gore stuff in there, it's good if you can put, you know, if you've got like a wound or something that you've done as a makeup, I think it's, it's worth having that painted up with the skin colors first and take a photo before you put any blood on and then show yeah. it bloodied so you can display, oh, look, my edges were great before I put blood on. You know, yeah, well, no, that's, a, that's, that. another, that's another good point too is um, you don't want to show screen grabs of your finished makeup in the dramatic mood lighting of you know the set where it was being shot or on stage you want to see really well lit high resolution images of the makeup in good lighting so you can see how good the edges are whether the cheek pieces line up symmetrically uh, if the nose is crooked you want to you want to see the makeup well it's okay to have a have that finished makeup in the screen version too. Yeah. But it's but somebody somebody's going to be hiring you based on what your makeup looks like in good lighting, not hidden in shadows and and low light. Yeah, I think like you say like nice clear images that display cuz basically they're just trying to show people who are looking for faults in pieces. You're trying to show them how well you can do something so that you can reveal your ability to them and if you you know take one or two i mean take a bunch of photos obviously but narrow it down to like one or two clear pictures because there's nothing more annoying than seeing like 50 photos of the same makeup from slightly different angles it's kind of like if you're you're on a date and someone comes out with a one-liner and they're repulsive you know, if they come up with another 51 liners, <laughs> it's not going to help. It just makes it look worse. Do you know what I mean? So it's like, just pick one or two good pictures. And that's it. If, it, if there's good stuff in it, it's obvious in those one or two pictures. Having more of the bad pictures doesn't mean that it makes it better. So yeah, you could, you could have, uh, you know, an extreme close up showing how flawless an edge is in addition to a full face shot of, of the makeup. Mm. But you don't want to have ultra close-ups of of every facet of that makeup. No, I think if you know, know, just one one example of of how good the edges are is more than sufficient. 
Yeah. I mean, I think it might be worth having, you know, a nice clean folio that's that's limited to like, like one good tactic, I think, is to have like you open the spread. You've got two page spread. So the left hand page is blank. The right hand page that you're looking at has a full size picture of the finished makeup. And then when you turn the page, there's like two, there's a double page spread. And on that, you have maybe four or five making of photos that are big enough and interesting enough to sort of show the process, show your competence. You know, you might have one of the sculpt, one of the mold, one of the cast, one of it applied before paint. But also what you do is you maybe have more of the photos with you in a separate pouch. So if somebody asks, oh, have you got any more shots of that? Then you can show them more. So you can go deep dive, but don't show 400 photos because you took 400 photos of everything you did because you just fatigue whoever's watching it. But you, you, you brought a point that makes me think sometimes it's, it's a good idea to have more than one portfolio. Mm. You know, you don't want to go in to interview for a job as a mold maker and all you've got is character makeup pictures mm. and, you know, few, if not none, uh, no, no mold pictures. You know, you don't want to go in to get get an interview for a for a gig where you're going to be sculpting an age makeup, and all you've got is pictures of dragon people. Yes, because there's a you know, show with make, them. Make sure, see. yeah, make sure make sure you have what you're going in to to get a job for. And that's a good point as well. Bouncing off of that is you know making sure that there's a, a variety of things in your folio, uh, as much of it as you can realistic. You know, creatures and stuff are good, but keeping it grounded, I think, on real. You know, so you don't have to cover someone head to toe because I think there are certain limits that you'll be presented with, like the distance between the eyes and the mouth and stuff. There's only so many times you can change everything but those things. You know what I mean? It's mm-hmm. just, it looks too much. So just a nice age makeup, a nice ball cap, a nice couple of characters where you maybe take one person and make them look like three different people in three different makeups. Nothing drastic. Don't turn them into like massive witches with 15 inch long noses and chins. That looks stupid. Just, do you know what I mean? Just a little subtle yeah. twist, you know, where you cranked up reality just a little bit. And, um, you know, those, those kinds of things would display the variety of things that you can do. And if you haven't done those things, well, fucking do them. That's, that's what you should be spending your time in rather than trying to, you know, hammer a square peg into a round hole. I think it's, it's very important to get a nice variety of work. Yeah, if that, you have you trouble know. with noses, sculpt a bunch of noses. If you have trouble with ears, work on your ears. You know, yeah. get yourself out 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 of that comfort zone. And they could just be latex and plaster. You know, plaster molds, latex noses, and stick them on. You know, they're just for stills, so they don't have to move particularly well. But if you can make a beautiful latex nose, you'll be able to display enough competence that someone would trust you with. You know, other things. I think because you know sometimes you just can't afford those expensive materials but if you don't make anything because you can't get your hands in epoxy that's not going to impress anybody because the thing is whoever you're trying to get a job off started from nothing and spent a lot of the time you know trying to make stuff work with whatever Mm -hmm. they had and so they they spot in other people so if that's not you well it kind of shouldn't be there (laughs) because because that that position deserves to be going to somebody that does get off their ass and try um, yeah, and if you if you don't, I don't know how to do that. Well, it's you know the internet is a wonderful thing when used for good. <laughs> you can find out you can find out how to do anything. Yeah, I know this guy that uh, wrote wrote three editions of a of a book. Get your hands on that and do some research. 
You know, the, the information's out there. Yeah, you just got to go and, and get it and then act on it. That's the thing. It's not good enough just to read it. You've actually got to put it into action. Got to do it. Yeah, it's all about doing. Um, so that's it. So yeah, get in touch with the people. Step two is once you've got your folio together, I think it's really important to get in touch with the people who hired. Try and get in front of them with your folio. I think trade shows are very good for this. Things like IMATS, Monsterpalooza, mm -hmm. the prosthetics event. Go to the where these places are because those companies will be there. Those people will be there. You can go up to them and meet them. Get a photo with them so you can show them that you met them in future correspondence. You know what I mean? Get a get a feeling for what they're like as people and, and, and speak to a lot of people there. And you might go somewhere like, you know, that has schools and speak to some of the ex-students, you know, get a feel for the kind of people that already do this and see if there's like a common thread, you know, amongst them, because you'll often see that. I think, you know, there's a certain, there's often a lot of traits that are shared amongst that, that kind of people, you know, they've all got a kind of scrappy kind of eagerness to them about that, that, that you might not get, you know, if you're only surrounded by people that work a, a regular job, because there's a certain edge about freelancing that, like, you know, what's going on at the moment, everything in lockdown, you know, there's a few people I've spoken to, like, you know, they're, they're, they're not working, you know, they're kind of like the rest of us kind of scratching around trying to get bits and bobs and worrying about how they're going to pay the bills. But a lot of them are saying it's a lot like a, just another crappy year as a freelancer, which is not yeah. necessarily something you've ever had if you've always had a paid job where you had a regular check coming in. So it's kind of like, you know, there's a certain kind of wild eye <laughs> look to people that have never known certainty. And when you see them at the trade shows, they are a little bit kind of uh, not, not case hardened, but they're just, you know, when they're a little bit less fretful about things going wrong sometimes, because not necessarily this, I'm not talking about this lockdown, but I'm just saying there's a certain, it's not the same as, as people that, that don't have to worry about where their checks are coming from. Whereas with freelancers, mm -hmm. they're always worried a little bit to the point where, you know, you just don't want to go on Which holiday. Which is why you <laughs> always want to be, if you're, if, if freelancing is where you want to be, you don't want to get struck down by the man. You know, you've got to always be up in your game. You've yeah. got to always be at the top of your game and, constantly improving because you know it's survival of the fittest it's a tough one that it's uh there was an expression i can't think who to uh, ascribe this to but they said the expression was if you're not busy working hard on your own dream then they'll end up working hard on somebody else's and it's true it's like mm -hmm. you know and and the freelance world is like that you could be an entrepreneur like where you could start a business and you know have employees and all that kind of stuff maybe but the vast majority of us are freelancers you know we work for other people so um not everyone's got that in them uh to be like an entrepreneur i know i don't i'm not gonna have a company with 50 people working for me i don't think that's not how no. i'm wired but um but it's but uh there's it's definitely worth going to trade shows to try and you know, get a feel for what people who do do this already, you know, what they're like, go speak to them. Um, and often you will learn things, not so much the things they tell you, but the things you will observe about them and the way they work. That's why it's great to watch them do demos. It's lovely mm -hmm. going to trade shows because you get to watch people, you know, who do this for a living doing their job, you know. And, and it's also a great opportunity when you can get FaceTime with with somebody whose work you admire and you want to emulate and show them your portfolio and ask them, 
what can I do to improve this? Yeah. And then you go away and follow through with the suggestions that they gave you on how to improve your work and show it to them again. You've just made some brownie points. Yes. I think that's a very good point. I think you, you need to sort of, a lot of people make the mistake of like starting the relationship and it needs to be a relationship. This, they start the relationship by just asking, have you got a job? You know what I mean? It's like the first yeah. thing they ask. And it's like, you're better off your first point of contact, your first start of the relationship should be, I have a thing that I want to fit. I, you want to come across as someone, look, I am trying to achieve this goal. I'm, I have already come this far. I've hit this roadblock. Could you please help me or advise me or point me in the right direction where you think I might go to solve that and then act on that information. Whereas if somebody says, oh, you know, solve my problem for me wholesale, that's just, smacks of laziness and mm -hmm. do you know what I mean so if you're the kind of yeah. person that one will get you a job and one will not no exactly <laughs> you know if you if you can like rock up and say look I've already tried this stuff this didn't work and here's all my crappy things I try look and then you've got pages of all your all your attempts and here's my tests of these different materials and none of them are working or that I've tried these things I'm much more likely to give my time to someone like that because I can already see that they put hours into this and they care about mm -hmm. it if somebody just says oh I really want to do this but they've no evidence of it whatsoever that doesn't you know, it doesn't, it, it smells bad. You can, you can see it a mile off. And so it's good to go to trade shows partly so that you can meet the people who might hire you, but also you get to meet people who are hired by people and you can ask them questions and, and sort of see how you measure up against that. And, uh, it's, it's, it can be scary when you go somewhere like Montepalooza and you see the best work because people put their best work out and that's not how people are all the time, but it's good to go. But they're all like approachable. Yeah, they are. Everybody there is approachable. Yeah, and they do love what as they long do. as as long as you're not a dick, they're more than happy to talk to you. Yeah, and and offer advice on how to improve and get your foot in the door. Yeah, take advantage of that. Don't just don't just walk around and be a moving wallflower. No, it's true. And you got to be um like there was one one thing I think is worth mentioning is that obviously you know a portfolio can be viewed online, but you and your work are two different things and, and someone who's going to pay you to do stuff, they want to see you as well as your work. So don't just assume that sending somebody a link is going to be like, well, I sent them a link. It's like, no, they want to, you, you really want to try and get in front of somebody because it's not, you, you are not separate from your talents. You know what I mean? So if someone's going to hire you, they need mm -hmm. to know what you're like as well. So, um, and also your geographical location. We mentioned this before, you know, if you live miles and miles away from work, where the work is it it's something a, an employer may take into consideration if you need a week's notice because you've got to figure out where you're going to live first um that, and somebody else is like well i live 10 minutes around the corner it's like well i'm going to hire the guy who lives 10 minutes around the corner because i don't want the fact that you may have problems with sofa you're bunking down on to be the thing that mean you can't get this job done Do you know what i mean it's um mm. it could be a, a thing so just bear that in mind uh, but there's no way to game the system. You can't trick. There's no secret backdoor or, or anything. You know, it's a relatively small industry full of very enthusiastic individuals. And the best way to get work is to be good, be pleasant, and to to be proactive and be persistent, but without irritating. And the last thing I was going to say about that is maintaining a professional social media status. I think is important. If you're the sort of person that runs to the keyboard every time something happens to you, and you have like extensive posts about how shit your life is, and that's all you throw up there. As somebody that might hire you, I'm going to think, shit, what happens if I say, shit, something's gone wrong, we need to work the weekend, 
are you just going to be online slagging at me off when my back's do you know what i mean so think about how yeah. you come across because and we all know people like that you know what i mean so yeah but no, I, you know you just don't want to be one of them no don't be one of them uh because uh yeah you've got to think about it from an employee's point of view <clears throat> and the last question number five a big one we like this question will computers take over the work of makeup artists <laughs> no well, yeah, it's a common question to ask. I think it's a very sensible one. Um, yeah, it is. It is. Uh, and one that, that keeps people up at night. CG is getting really, really good. Yes, it is. Uh, in some ways, CG has taken over a lot of stuff already. Um, it's become incredibly sophisticated. But in addition to that, it's not cheap, nor is it easily done. No. Um you know, computers still just a tool. I mean, the amount of times I've heard people say, oh, they just use a computer for that. It's like, you watch a CG department, you watch the visual effects people, they work hard. And there's no, that's, a, you know, that's, I spent years doing CGI before I said goodbye to it uh, in favor of practical effects because I'm a, I'm a tactical, tactile person and you can't hold what you're doing in the computer. No. I mean, yeah, I mean, in a sense, you can now with 3D printing, but CG is, it's different. And it's more expensive than, than you know, it's more expensive than animatronics. It's more expensive than, than makeup effects. Uh, you know, so, ah, we'll just do it in the computer. You know, just be, because you can do it with CGI doesn't mean you should. Mm. Well, I think it's just worth pointing out, you know, there is, there is a, good CGI there are reasons bad CGI, CGI. Yeah. just like there's yeah. good makeups and bad makeups and, and like you pointed out you know the computer's just an economizer it doesn't actually do the work it just makes it easier sometimes yeah <laughs> um, yeah but it's only as it's only as good as the operator it's just a tool yeah I mean essentially CG and makeup they're just different tools basically trying to do the same thing you know they're trying to create realistic illusions in the best way possible and sometimes it makes sense financially and practically to do it as a makeup but other times it might be better to do cg like you know if you want something 50 foot tall running around on fire maybe you don't build something that big practically you know it makes sense to do something yeah, smaller. or if, if your entire story takes place in space it's going to be cheaper to do to use cgi and and some practical sets rather than going to space and doing your your sh your show because mm. that's that's impractical and enormously costly yeah well the the thing i think is the thing to be aware of and having been on shows where there's been a heavy cg presence on stuff like game of thrones and things when you do a makeup effect on there when the you know often there'll be like a collaboration between like say for example someone gets their throat torn out there might be a practical element that you do and then there's a digital element in that maybe they need to extend you know the blade or something you know so you can mm -hmm. swipe often they just use like a, a handle and then you know for the five frames you'll see it they'll put a blade in afterwards because it's the safest way of doing something you know without risking the performers um but there's so many other things in that scene that are going to be digital. There's grading, there's sky color changes. They're maybe going to extend the set, all this kind of stuff. There's so much CG in everything. They're not really looking for more things to do. So if they don't have to fix your edge, that's mm -hmm. a good thing. Do you know what I mean? And that's happened on set where they're like, oh, I don't need to worry about where this is going. Oh, that's great. Oh, that looks fine. And do you know what I mean? So they're not looking to do more stuff. It's it's a weird thing that CG is everything that's on the screen. You know what I mean? Anything anything you see with your eyes 
It might be replacing a bit of costume. It might be fixing a bit of set. It might be changing makeup or hair or a prop or whatever. Those are all different departments that all could come under the, you know, the big umbrella of CG. So, yeah. so all of those need to be filled with, and you will get specialists, you know, you get fabric and liquid specialists and all kinds of stuff. So it makes sense to still be competent in what you do and maybe even start thinking about how you could use digital elements yourself in what you do. Well, I think that's really what the, the trend seems to be or um, where where the industry seems to be heading is, is um, shops that are doing practical effects are starting to do digital effects as well under the same roof, which makes total sense because it's it's all one-stop shopping. Everybody's there. They all speak the same language. Uh, they're not having to send stuff out across town to a to a shop to to do their bit and then send things back. You know, Todd Masters is doing it. I think uh, Spectral Motion and ADI all have in-house CGI departments now, as well as their practical and animatronic stuff. So. It just seems to make more sense because when when practical effects and digital effects can work together, because you know the, the goal is to create. You're all working toward the same goals. To, yeah, ultimately, to you tell, want the to, effect to, to look to real, tell right? A be, to tell a beautiful story and to not have something on screen take away, take take you out of the moment, take you out of the reality of of the storytelling. So you know when when they work in tandem to to make. The, pro- the end product better that's that's the goal yes i think it's true i think i also think it's worth people who work practically to involve themselves in digital uh, work in some degree like for example i think if you do makeup you should use photoshop i think you should know how to use photoshop if mm-hmm. you can't afford photoshop or you can't get photoshop there's free programs there's one called gimp g-i-m-p again i'll put the link to that in the show notes uh just you know it's an image editing software but it's open source so it's free and um, from a design standpoint you know if you're designing a makeup you want to do do your own form of pre-visualization yeah so you get get a headshot of the actor and if you need to you know change the nose or change the cheekbones uh change as simple as changing eye color you know you can do all kinds of image manipulation with software to you know if you if you, you want to do lizard skin on a on the actor's face there are wonder and there's all of their tutorials on how to do all of this stuff easily easily found on on youtube and uh through even some of the adobe uh forums on how to do this yeah i mean digital sculpting as well things like um zbrush which seems to be the industry standard i know there's one called mudbox mm-hmm. autodesk make yeah Is it autodesk that make mudbox but yes. um, ZBrush by Pixelogic seems to be the one. Again, that's that's a paid piece of software. But there's one called Sculptress, which is free. It's basically the gateway drug to ZBrush, but um, mm-hmm. it is free. But, I think I think know. it's made by Pixelogic, isn't it? I think I don't think they made it originally, but they now own it, so it's on their website. But again, we'll put um, we'll put the the link to that on there, and that that's a free package, and it's 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 worth just playing with these things, so you can. I mean, one of the things I think about. Like with makeup, it's similar to like what they do. I've tried to look. I was looking over at my bookshelf to try and see if I could find this book that I've got here. Uh, it's basically a book about photo retouching. Yeah, that well, they I do know. In I know. Pixel Logic is, you know, with everybody on on house arrest. 
sheltering at home right now, um, they've got free extended trials of, of ZBrush that you can download um, and have, have have full access to to everything. Which is good, but my only, my only issue with that is if you've only got it for like a month or two months, you're going to hate the interface because there's so many options. So you might yeah. be worth getting Sculptress first. Sure. Kind of cut your teeth on that first. And then when you feel a little bit more comfortable with Sculptress, then press the button on the on your trial package with ZBrush. Cause, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, it's, 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 it's actually much more straightforward than you think. But it's worth And there's another with. software called Blender, which is kind of an organic... Uh, yes sculpting. blender and i think i think down. blender's free also yeah that's a good point and source yeah um and 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 maya as well which is not something i've mm-hmm. used maya maya how do you pronounce that yeah maya 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 it's um it's um a more robust it's, you can do some of the organic sculpting and modeling in maya that you can in zbrush uh, maya's more for character rigging and actually doing the animation and and rendering uh, uh, but if you if if you want to up your saleability factor learn zbrush learn maya become a cg expert as well as a practical expert then if you can the more hats you can wear well the more attractive you're going to make yourself to employers Mm. i think the thing about using stuff like photoshop and zbrush they are i mean they are pieces of software but that shouldn't be in itself a distraction any more than if you're going to draw something whether it's a pen or a pencil you don't really worry about the type of pencil or the color of the pen because that's less relevant than what you're going to do with it and you need to get uh, comfortable enough with them that you stop thinking about it like the first week you had an iphone probably people were very distracted by the fact it was an iphone whereas now you just use it to do what you need to do you send text messages with it you don't marvel Mm -hmm. at the fact that you can send text messages using satellites to transmit around the world you know what I mean? The Even analogy. though you should, but people don't. Yeah. They just use their phone to say what they want to say, whether it's to order a takeaway or call someone a twat. Do you know what I mean? So that's what they'll use this amazing technology for. So do you <laughs> know what I mean? calling a twat? <laughs> so it's like it's you get you get so used to the device that you don't really notice it anymore. Instead, you are focusing on what you want to what you want to do with the device rather than what it's capable of. And it should be like that with the software. If you're distracted by the interface, then it's just because you're not familiar enough with it to not notice it anymore. Um, if you don't believe me, you know, watch a, an 18 month old try and write their name with a pen and then you do it. And it's like, it's fine. Do you know what I mean? You, because it's so mm-hmm. well rehearsed and well practiced, you don't think about it. You just write what you want to say. And it should be like that with software. And there is a bit of a divide that people have decided that they're practical and others have decided they're digital. But I, I think at the core that there isn't a divide. There's only a divide if you want there to be. There's nothing to yeah, stop no, you designing like, hair in Photoshop. Are you, or, are you Mac or PC? <laughs> Which it was, yeah, uh, yeah. I said, "Oh, I, I'm a Mac. I'm a Macintosh person." I said, "Oh, them's fighting words. Put them up." <laughs> you yeah. know. So it's just, uh, it's just, just a machine. Have a little play. And After Effects, I'm having a lot of fun with After Effects. That's good. Ah, oh, I love After Effects. Uh, but yeah, but I think it's worth incorporating 
the digital elements into your practical and it's a taper it's not like a cutting off it's not like oh once you started sculpting in zbrush that's it you can never touch clay again do both i mean just do both mm -hmm. I, I found that what zbrush does for me is it reveals to me how bad a sculptor i am much quicker than clay because i don't have to fuck around with armatures and wrapping it up in plastic afterwards you know it's just like yeah it's just the sculpt you find out you can't sculpt a shoulder very quickly because you don't know what a shoulder looks like so it reveals your weaknesses and that's not a fault of the software that's a good thing so it can make you a better artist i think because you can focus on the pure sculpture of it and you watch you know i keep banging on about him but chris costa stuff theandropus i was oh getting oh my god you know his stuff on on instagram that's how you yeah. use zbrush you know and he's so generous he shows you how to do it and it all boils down to graft it's hard work it's 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 like anything all the best sculptors i know they just sculpt a lot whether it's in clay or on a on a, a cintiq it's the same thing it's just it's just effort mm -hmm. it's just putting in the hours um so if you can't afford to buy some software get sculptress and get gimp and start playing or blender and just start you know start with the tutorials and, and, and do it alongside all the other training you would do just make it part of your of your training because it's 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 worth doing and there's not many places showing digital sculpting like no one goes to a makeup school there's a few i mean i, I know they do it cinema makeup school yeah but rod no, maxwell yeah. teaches the zbrush class there yeah, and that's great but you there's not a lot of places that do that because nobody thinks about it in in the whole uh you know as as a as a as a, as a big picture people are focused on just makeup or just hair or just this or just that and i think you need to step back a bit and go oh i could become well-rounded yeah i could design something in photoshop and then make it real and that's what i was saying about the the retouching you know if you if you have like a like magazine you know re, retouches digitally they're doing things with photoshop but what they're doing is it's the same intention as a makeup artist. They're trying, they're, the more often than not, they're trying to present, you know, a certain look. And that might involve making the eyes wider or the lips fuller or the neck longer or whatever, whatever it is that you may or disagree with or whatever. But the point is that they're, they're, they're altering the physical reality in order to convey a desired outcome which is not what the real thing has and you might do that with foundation you might do that mm -hmm. with hair extensions you might do that with heels you might do that with all kinds of things or you might have compression clothing that pulls stuff in and pushes stuff out in different places it's the same stuff it's all just lies do you know what i mean but it's it's all it's all about where you lies. put that it's it's, it's it's the decisions that you're making that make it a good or a bad job and i think if you think, I think a lot of photo retouchers think like makeup artists and it's worth, I'm trying to find this book. I'll have to see if I can find it, put it in the show notes, but I would look up some photo retouching tutorials on Photoshop and just see how it's done because they tend to approach it in the same way that makeup artists do. It's the same kind of thought process. Mm -hmm. So you could definitely design makeups in Photoshop well, and then what, push things. What it was developed for is for photo retouching. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. and which just, you know before before the software you had to do it you know the old-fashioned way with with uh an dry brushes brush, and yeah. airbrush actual actual airbrushing which you know that's how i learned to do it yeah uh, in the 70s an actual cut and paste with a scalpel yeah. and paste <laughs> yep and using friskets to mask things out and bromides do you remember bromides yeah that was uh the old printing process crazy um but yeah, I, I think um, 
I think it's well worth learning. Uh, basically, overall, there's a lot more effects happening nowadays. There's a lot of digital stuff, but that doesn't mean that there's less makeup stuff. It might mean that things that before were only done practically were uh, 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 being done digitally now because it's possible. But that doesn't mean that there are not also a lot of makeup effects too. Basically, there's just more effects generally, I think, nowadays. There's a lot more visual effects stuff happening. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, there have been some massive departments over the last 10 years. We've well, been, because we, the pipelines are just getting more more efficient and streamlined, making it easier to do more effects work. Yeah. I, there's, just, there's just a lot more of it. It's just, it's crazy. I mean, we've been being told for 20 years that you know there was going to be no no practical effects and it's like but the practical effect shops are massive <laughs> there's a there's yeah, a lot going on there seem to have lessened no i mean you there are times where you kind of hear things that were going to be in effect have gone but you've still had you know like cats yes but that didn't necessarily work but even if that's you've got but but you've got stuff like you know toy story which is entirely digital but they still make films with actors do you know what i mean so it doesn't mm-hmm. mean the existence yeah. of one prevents the other it's from not existing. a digital voice no you can get both so you you can have both things going and i think that the the thing is to start using technology in your practical world like with sculpting 3d printing all that kind of stuff but also the other thing is that um, just as we've assimilated digit technology into our lives i mean most people didn't use a keyboard every day 50 years ago and now we do i couldn't get through my day yeah. without having to type stuff so you can in- embrace it and, and make it part of your life as well and gradually work towards it and i think I think uh, a practical person that understands and can use some digital stuff is far more useful than someone that folds their arms and refuses to pick up a mouse. And that's it's foolish yeah. as well because I love fucking. No, I I I I agree with you completely. You know the amount of stuff. I mean, when I design all the the booklets and stuff, I'm using you know InDesign, which is a digital publishing software that's taken me about eight years to kind of master. But I've enjoyed using it every time I fire it up. I'm now using mm-hmm. Audition to edit the podcast and I love it and it's making my life easier and do you know what I mean it's just I I have more things I can do with it now and, and the more familiar with it you become the less you notice it as a thing to stop you from getting on instead you start working with it and it's just a case but of, that you know, that only that familiarity that that comfort only comes from repetition from doing it over and over again yes so that it becomes wrote yes yeah it becomes becomes part of part of how you operate yeah man it's all good it only it only happens from doing it as you put together practical and digital effects they're greater than the sum of their two parts yep you know absolutely and and synergy and the computer doesn't just do it you know you've got to make it happen it's still your creative choices and uh, I think that's why a lot of people mistake. They think they press a button, the computer just does it all, and it fucking doesn't. Yeah, no. If you don't, <laughs> if you if you draw like a four year old, the computer is going to draw like a four year old. Yeah, and four year old computers are crap. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I think we should wrap that up. That's been one hour forty seven minutes of us just gassing on. Wow, that was awesome. Yeah. Though. Well, 
That was fun. <laughs> that was really good. Um, we've got some news. We, uh, you can leave a voice message on our website now. If you go to battleswithbitsofrubber.com, yeah. uh, we have a, uh, a SpeakPipe app in there now. So you'll see on the right-hand side a little button you can click where it says leave a voice message, or you can go to the leave a message tab on the top. And, uh, yeah, there's basically a button that you press. And so long as you've got a microphone available, which if you're using a phone or a laptop, you will, or a tablet, you can just leave us a mm -hmm. message right there, a voice message, and we'll get it. If you want to tell us, if you want to tell us to sod off, yeah, you can do that as well. Yeah, you can, uh, and it would I be hope lovely. You don't though. No, it would be lovely. So I'd love it if people called in with their questions. We've had quite a few emails, which is lovely, and I kind of wanted to email back saying, "Could you do this as a voice message so I can play it on the podcast?" Um, but uh, questions, suggestions for topics for podcasts. Uh, you got a good dirty joke you want to share yeah you can leave a message up to five minutes long that'd be great right absolutely which is plenty of time but i mean yeah, I, yeah. I, we would love it if you could just uh yeah uh come get in touch with the show uh stuart and todd at gmail.com but if you want to leave us a voice message like i say go to our website battleswithbitsofrubber.com and you'll see there uh, you know the the message uh tab on the right and you can just click on it and Leave us a voice message, and if you want, we can we can play it on on the show, and then and go into depth on the question. But um, yeah, that'd be great. If you want to record us a new intro, that'd be fun with a with a funny voice. That'd be great. Why do we Give do that? Then people could yeah. we could have different intros every week. That would be great. <laughs> That's a fucking great idea. Yes, please. Uh, yeah, the more weird, the better. That'd be awesome. Yeah. Well, we figured we All you know, right. we do a lot of time. We we spend a lot of time talking to you guys, and it would be lovely if you can talk back. So we thought we'd make it really easy for you to do it. So it's free to use. Just go ahead and do uh, do that. That'd be great. Lovely chatting with you, Stuart. Yes, sir. Sorry, waffling off for nearly two hours. I'm going to go and get myself a nice big Jack Daniels now. It's late in the evening. Sounds like a plan. <laughs> yeah, I think the it's not that late here, but heck, I'm not going anywhere. So the drinking lamp may as well get lit. Okay, man. <laughs> Talk to you soon. Take care, buddy. <laughs>